Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chimakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. In the middle of an absolutely red hot period of mixed martial arts, we had UFC 267 and the PFL Championship 2021 this past week. We've got Bellator 270 in Dublin and UFC 268 at Madison Square Garden this week. A lot to pack in to this week's show. Sandu, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm buzzing because, like you said, it's a red-hot period. There's so many great events. We've just had an incredible weekend of mixed martial arts. Like, I'm talking top-tier, elite-level, different gravy. You know, when the UFC put on an absolutely stacked card and that card delivers and then you have all this reactionary fallout and so much stuff happening both you know with the fighters and and storylines and uh the atmosphere and you know special guests which i'm sure we'll get to it just makes for a really fun time to be a fan it's a fun time to be working in the sport in the business and also it was an extra cherry on top of the cake the fact that this was a daytime card which i think everybody was happy about so yeah good times i was over the moon with the whole daytime card thing it was great i mean i was all wrapped up by midnight um, didn't have the usual usual uh, sleep deprivation on a Sunday. It was it was absolutely superb. And on top of all of that, the event delivered. You take a look at the fight card top to bottom and just skim through the results. There's a lot of decisions in there, but there's a lot of finishes as well. And almost every fight had a story, especially on that main card. And where else can we start, Sandu? But that main event, Glover Teixeira, Renaissance man, uh, really just coming back, an incredible career comeback. Uh, to get back in there, to have his second crack at a UFC title, becoming the UFC's oldest ever first-time champion as he defeated Jan Blachowicz, who looked a bit out of sorts uh, in that main event, defeated him by a second-round rear naked choke submission. We have a new champion, and uh, I wrote for Fighters Only in the lead-up to this fight, Sandu. Two good guys of the sport going head-to-head, but two very, very... Uh, hard-nosed veterans and it was hard to see which which direction it was going to go in but it was Glover to share his day and I don't think you'll you'll find anyone anywhere in the sport who will uh, begrudge him his victory that was there's a real feel-good moment I thought I think it's the feel-good story of the year if I'm being honest with you Sai. fantastic 42 years of age six fight win streak leading to the title who would have thought when he lost John Jones and then he was kind of just stuttering along, got knocked out by Alexander Gustafsson, got knocked out by Rumble Johnson, you know, picked up a couple of wins here, but nothing consistent. And then all of a sudden he puts it together. He just kept plugging away. And I have to say, you know, the fight itself, I feel like Glover turned up. Jan didn't. He kind of just laid an egg. This wasn't the Jan that we have been you know, used to over this run as champion. So, I'm sure he's going to be completely devastated with himself, you know, with, you know, with regards to, you know, his performance. And he's also a great guy. He's a really good guy in the sport. You know, it's always nice to have Europeans add some flavor, holding championships. And, and I think he's done a good job. But man, this Glover Teixeira, you know, becoming a UFC light heavyweight champion. I'm sure by now everyone's seen the clip of Chuck Liddell, you know, obviously who, you know, brought Glover on board at a really um, early part of his career to help him as a training partner. The story is just epic. He you know, has visa issues, finally makes it to the UFC. He used to be a bricklayer back in the day, you know, gets involved with the, with the, with the company and just, um, yeah, does does the business. You know, he's not the kind of guy that's been controversial. You don't see him in any TMZ headlines, falling out of bars or clubs, drunk or 
you know, assaulting anyone or getting up to any kind of mischief. He's just stayed, you know, true to himself. He's kept his head, you know, on a swivel. And he's kind of just made sure that he's put in the graft and the proof is in the pudding, man. Like, you know, you look at any mixed martial artist right now, what they want, you know, aside from obviously to have enough wealth and money put away for the, for the rest of their lives and look after their family, they just want to be able to say, I'm the best in the world. I am a UFC champion. And 1% of 1% get, you know, have that claim. And Glover Teixeira, man, so happy for the guy. It was a great performance and is a finish. Emphatic, no controversy, no split decision on the judges' scorecards. Absolutely made up for Glover there, honestly. Yeah, I mean, he completely, completely bossed the first round. Um, and then it looked like Yan was beginning to let his hands go at the start of the second round, but the fight went to the mat again. And once it was down there, it was a wrap pretty quickly. And you mentioned six-fight win streak for Glover Teixeira. Look at those six wins. Carl Robertson, Ian Kutalaba, Nikita Krilov, and then former champion, uh, sorry, former championship contender, Anthony Smith, former championship contender, Tiago Santos, and then the champ, Jan Blahovic. And you take a look at those fights, only one of those fights went to a scorecard. The uh, Nikita Krilov fight went to a split decision. All the rest came inside the distance. Four of those five finishes were by submission. Three of those four submissions by rear naked choke. So that really was his go-to move during the course of this, this run. And it looks as if they've already lined him up. His next, his next fight, his first defense as champion, looks like it's going to be against uh, Yuri Prohaska, who was in the crowd. Uh, they put him up on the camera. And uh, it looks like that fight's good to go. So we're probably going to get that in the early part of 2022. And, uh, yeah, Glover Teixeira, I mean, it, it was a real feel-good moment. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of fight week was when uh, he turned 42 on, on the Thursday of fight week. And there's a great clip. It's been shot from a you know various angles on social media but with uh yan actually seeking him out and giving him a bottle of polish beer to uh to celebrate his uh 42nd birthday and uh you know it was it was one of those great moments of respect between two two championship caliber athletes loads of respect going in loads of respect after the fight yan had a little bit of a joke i think at his own expense in the post-fight interview saying that he left his legendary polish power back in the hotel room and that He's no, by no way is he finished. He said he's going to bounce back. He's going to get back to the top again. So looking forward to seeing what he does next. But yeah, I mean, take a bow, Glover Teixeira. One, as you say, probably the feel-good moment of the year for mixed martial arts uh, in what has been a pretty packed year so far. They also earned him a performance of the night bonus to really cap off what was a stunning event, Sandu. And uh, none, none were more stunning than the co-main Piotr Jan versus Corey Sanhagen for the interim bantamweight belt. Two guys who are right up there. And we said this leading in, even though they were both coming in off, off losses, this is the highest level bantamweight fight the UFC could put on based on who was available, fit to go. TJ Dillashaw injured. Aljamain Sterling, the champ, still recovering from surgery, not quite ready to go. And boy, did they deliver. What, what a fight that was. Um, one of the fights of the year, I thought. From a technical standpoint, I thought it had a little bit of everything. I thought it was outstanding. Sanhagen looked great early. I actually gave him the first two rounds. I know a lot of scorecards gave it 49-46. Um, all three judges gave it 49-46, which meant obviously that they, I, th I think they all gave uh, Yan the second round. I thought that was kind of a seesaw round. It was very, very close. 
I gave it to Sandhagen, but then it was Jan all the way from that point onwards. And uh, yeah, I've yet to see anybody legitimately defeat Peter Jan in a, in a cage. I mentioned it in last week's show. He is the cream of the crop at 135 pounds. And in, in the eyes of a lot of people, with all due respect to Aljamain Sterling, who's top man and elite fighter and is currently the UFC undisputed bantamweight champion, I think Peter Yan is the best 135-pounder on the planet right now. And uh, I cannot wait until we see him and Sterling back in there. And uh, hopefully there'll be no controversy in the rematch. But what do you make of that fight, Sandu? It was absolutely brilliant from start to finish. It really was. And, you know, when I, when I said at the beginning of the show today, Simon, high level, elite level mixed martial arts this is exhibit a right here because my my goodness piotr jan and Corey sandhagen you talk about you know you gave him sandhagen the second round you know even if at best everyone gave him second round it still wasn't controversial the the, the following three were all clear piotr jan rounds um and at times it was a chess match at times it was phone booth fighting Corey would come with a one-two, and then Piotr Jan would come right back at him. Would not take a back step. Kept come, kept moving forward, and you know you, you talked about Aljamain Sterling there, Simon, as the undisputed champion. And the thing is, the second there's an interim championship in that weight class, it's disputed. It's you disputed. Know? You did and right, yeah. There is no one. This is this is the whole point, right? So now we've got to have a unification bout, and I feel like Aljamain Sterling is going to be in a very precarious position because. If he isn't ready, if he isn't ready by a certain timeline that the UFC wants to to unify that belt with Piotr Jan, you know, Simon, and we've the history is there. We've got examples of this happening. The UFC will just jog on. They will move on. They'll strip him off that championship. They'll just make the next Piotr Jan fight for the undisputed title, whether it's against TJ Dillashaw or somebody else. I think the saving grace for Aljamain Sterling right now is the fact that the other contender at 135 pounds, TJ Dillashaw, is also injured and rehabbing, and he's going to need some time uh, to come back to full fitness. And also, Jan just came out of a five-round uh, war, so I'm sure he's going to need some time to heal. So I hope that Jan and Sterling run it back. If anything else, at least Sterling would have had enough time to prepare. He knows what Jan's all about. Um, he'll have some uh, experience there, look at the tape and see the improvements he can make. But I have to agree with you, Simon. I feel like Piotr Jan right now is the best 135-pound fire in the world, regardless of what championship he's currently um, holding. And I have to take my hat off to Corey Sandhagen. You know, like, you look at the strength of schedule he's had. Look at the competition he's faced over the last couple of years. And I hope that... You know, he's not one of those guys that's like almost like an Alexander Gustafsson. Just, you know, just just he was fighting in the wrong era and never got a yeah. chance to become champion because I feel like, you know, he's still in his late 20s. So he still has time to develop. But I mean, it's a murderer's row there. Uh, will Corey Sandhagen get an opportunity to fight for the title again? It, it depends who's the champion. It depends what kind of win streak he can put together. He's definitely capable. And I'm sure his last couple of fights have given him nothing but at the very least some incredible experience against TJ Dillashaw and now against Piotr Jan. So hopefully he can bounce back from this. But my goodness, no mercy. Piotr Jan, I mean, hopefully the UFC can go to Russia at some point next year because he is yet another big, big star um, for them, especially in that market. He got a huge pop from the crowd over in Abu Dhabi as well. I think he was probably the most the most popular guy there. I think John Anik on commentary said that they basically chartered a flight full of his fans just to bring them in because... 
they they wanted to be there. And obviously Russia to Abu Dhabi isn't too far of a trek in terms of, you know, compared to going over to the States. So um, that was, a, that was obviously a, a big factor in terms of the atmosphere on fight night, but yeah, what, what a state the bantamweight division is in. And we keep talking about it. The bantamweight division is the division. That's where everything is at right now in mixed martial arts. It's the best division in the world. And uh, in terms of strength and depth and early 2022, Aljo is going to be back early 2022, assuming the, assuming the rehab of his knee goes well, TJ Dillashaw will be back. And uh, that's a whole new factor in the mix. I mean, when Dillashaw was champ and before he, uh, before he got busted by USADA, he was a pound for pound, probably top three, top four fighter on the planet. He was one of the best technical fighters in the world. Obviously, he went through his issues with uh, the EPO and all the rest of it. And he came back. He looked good against Corey Sanhagen after being so long out. He's gone and rehabbed his knee. He's going to be back in the mix. He's going to be a serious threat. Yan versus Sterling will be fun. Yan versus Dillashaw will be fun. Sterling versus Dillashaw will be fun. Sanhagen's still in the mix. There's all manner of absolute dynamite matchups that you can make at 135 pounds. And that's just involving those top four fighters. So cannot wait to see what the bantamweights have in store for us as we head into 2022. That was an absolutely brilliant fight. That got fight of the night, unsurprisingly, with Yan and Sanhagen both picking up an extra 50 grand on top of their pay packet. So yeah, huge, huge fight. Big night as well. Speaking of Russian fighters, Sandu, for Islam Makachev. Uh, he, he was coming into this fight as the guy no one wanted to fight. Uh, a guy who was very difficult. He was like everyone's kryptonite. No one wants to face him. No one looks any good against him. And he's just dominant and he steamrolls people. And as I said on last week's show, the one thing that was missing a little bit earlier in his career was the finishes. And now he's getting those finishes. And my goodness me, he absolutely steamrolled his way through Dan Hooker, who is absolutely no mug. He is world-class, make no mistake about that. And uh, he looked in outstanding shape heading into that fight. But he had absolutely nothing for Islam Makachev on fight night, who has now won his last three via submission by three different methods as well. Drew Dober by arm triangle, Tiago Moises by rear naked choke, and Dan Hooker on Saturday night via Kimura. In the first round, it wasn't even, it was the first half of the first round, 2.25 on the clock when he got it done. And uh, he did the right thing. He said, I've just beaten number six in the world. I need to start talking. I think that's pretty much what he said. And off he went and said, I need a title shot. Everyone above me has had a go and they've all failed. Now it's my turn. And you know what? That's exactly what he needed to say. We've spoken on this show many times about make that mic time count. He made it count. And uh, if he doesn't get a title shot next, then I would think he'll get a number one contender fight next. And uh, it's really interesting to see how this 155-pound division is going to pan out. We'll talk a bit more about it as we preview UFC 268 a bit later on in the show. But that division is popping again. And uh, yeah, there is. If he wasn't considered a contender universally before, um, he most certainly is now. And uh, he's always been a danger man. But now there's no there's no denying the man. You know, he needs to be in a number one contender fight at worst next time out. Absolutely brilliant performance from him. The perfect night, Simon. The absolute perfect night. He gets a finish. His ninth win in a row. You know, we, we've been talking about Leon Edwards. Um, and the kind of win streak he's put together at welterweight. The same thing can be said for Islam Makachev. You know, if you, if you put him in a title fight right now, Simon, I'd have no problem with it. I genuinely would not. But I agree with you. At worst, 
he has to fight one more time, a number one contender fight, uh, a main event of a fight night or a featured bout on, on a pay-per-view main card, something of that nature, right? We've got some big fights coming out, 155 pounds. We've obviously got Gaethje versus Chandler this weekend in New York. Um, we've got Poirier versus Oliveira for the title in December. So the lightweight division is going to figure itself out one way or another. And it's going to, depending depending on you know what the results are, Makachev could see himself slipping right in there for, for a title fight. So we'll see how everything shakes out. But he done his job. And honestly, I think it was a perfect night for him, Simon, because he wins, he gets the finish, he's got his... Guy Khabib in his corner, who was obviously over the moon there. He's got all of his guys. He's got team captain of AKA, Daniel Cormier, conducting the post-fight interview. Special guest, Hasbullah, who I guess is, you know, I guess uh, Islam Makachev's neighbor. Like, what a great scene that was. Honestly, it was fun. You spoke about him talking on the mic. Uh, making It was a moment. And I feel like that's what Islam has been missing. He's had great performances. He's put this win streak together. But he was missing that moment and i feel like he got that this past weekend in abu dhabi he's definitely on the radar now of the fans i feel like there's other other lightweights you know who are just trying to avoid uh, fighting him moving forward because he's such a nightmare uh in terms of what he brings to the table you talk about khabib 2.0 yes everything seems to be looking like he's a, he's a he's a direct carbon copy of what khabib brought to the table uh, but given the fact that Khabib, due to, due to circumstances, retired fairly early, you know, con considering uh, how old he was, maybe Islam, given the right, you know, situation, the the strength of schedule, um, uh, if he continues his win streak and he continues finishing, we could be looking back at Islam's career maybe in a couple of years, thinking maybe he, he would have eclipsed what Khabib brought to the table. Obviously, Khabib was undefeated. Islam can never uh, have that claim on his resume. But my goodness, in terms of what he's bringing to the table right now, if he if he gets his opportunity to fight for the title, I'll, I'll probably favor him. If I'm being honest with you, because he is exactly what Khabib brought to the table, and he's got Khabib in his corner, and he just continues to look better and better and better. So yeah, fantastic performance by Islam Makhachev. You, you're saying it was a moment, and you're absolutely dead right. And the Khabib comparisons will run forever. You know, he's so intrinsically linked with Khabib, so much so you think back about the moment that Khabib had that happened after he scored a win via Kimura, just like Makachev did at the weekend. That was against Michael Johnson at UFC 205. Um, we were both there at Madison Square Garden for that event. Uh, we actually did a podcast from outside uh, MSG that week. That was a good, fun week, that. And um, that, was the, that was the moment that Khabib, who was pretty peed off during fight week, during his pre-fight interviews, he was fed up about being passed over for a title fight. He thought he deserved to be in there facing Eddie Alvarez that night, but Conor McGregor got the fight, um, having moved up uh, to the lightweight division. And he then cut a promo on the mic afterwards. What's well, I say cutting a promo? He didn't cut a promo. He just spoke his mind. He just spoke his mind. And it's an absolutely, it's probably the best post-fight interview he's ever given. If you jump on YouTube when you get a chance and, and check it out again, if you, if you don't remember it, he just went all in on Dana White, on Conor McGregor, and um, everything that he said, he went and backed up subsequently in his career. That was the moment when the world switched on to Khabib as a legit, a legit threat to the lightweight title. And I think this Saturday, when uh, Islam started speaking up, that was the moment the world started to speak, uh, was, 
started to wake up to him as a legit threat. So there's loads of parallels there. I thought it was I thought it was a really big night. And the only downside, if there's any downside, he didn't earn a post-fight bonus as great as his performance was. And there was another fighter on the card who we'll mention in a little bit, who also had an incredible finish. He didn't get a bonus either. Not an official one anyway. And the reason why Makachev and the other fighter, Lerone Murphy, who we'll talk about a bit later, didn't get bonuses is because of the next man who we're going to talk about. Hamzat Chimaev, Sandu. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, my goodness. We talk about this was Glover Teixeira's uh, feel-good moment. This was Peter Yan showing the world that he's the best 35er on the planet. This was the event that Islam Makachev announced himself as a bona fide threat at 155 pounds. I don't think any of them put in a performance as just as dominant, as nonchalant, and as just downright scary as what we saw from Hamzat Chimaev, who finished Li Jingliang uh, in the first round, technical submission, choked the man out. Le- uh, the leech was not going to tap out. So uh, Hamzat just finished him. 316. 316 says Hamzat just kicked your ass. And that's exactly what happened on uh, on fight night. And uh, he he was talking to Dana White. He was carrying Li Jingliang across the cage to talk to Dana White during the fight. Um calling out Brock Lesnar and doing all, all sorts of mad, mad stuff. This man is terrifying. And I, I said to you leading in, maybe he's not going to look so great because he had to cut a load of weight after having COVID for all this time. Maybe he should have come in at middleweight, which is obviously he's fought middleweight in the UFC. No, he's, he's absolutely fine at 170. And at 170, he's terrifying. I don't know who... I was talking to a couple of our, our friends and colleagues on, on WhatsApp the other day. And uh, talking about who he should fight next, and uh, I know Neil Magny has thrown his name into the, his 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 hand into the ring and said, "I'll I'll take him on next. I think I, I think I've got something for him." For me, there's only two fights out there for him. One is Kamara Usman, but I think given the state of the division, that might be a little bit harsh on some of the contenders, Leon Edwards, for example. Um, but the guy who he could fight, and a guy I'd love to see him fight, is Gilbert Burns. That would be an absolute banger. And uh, yeah, but what we're saying is this man is a top two, top three, top four level welterweight in the UFC. And uh, one more win and he could be in there going for a belt. He's terrifying. Simon, the hype is officially real. 10 fights, 10 wins, 10 finishes. And he kind of picked up right from where he left off last year. We haven't seen him literally in a year. We thought at one point he was going to be gone from the sport and retired and COVID issues. He's spitting out blood and all the rest of it. And he came out when his music hit. And I know his nickname is Boars, which stands for Wolf. He came out, Simon, like a rabid wolverine, just frothing at the mouth. Like his energy, he was just jumping up and down. He just like, he was just, I thought he was going to have an adrenaline dump or something, but yeah. he he was pacing up and down. He got into, into the octagon. He just couldn't wait. He was raring to go. And that energy that was coming off him was truly transmitting through the TV screen. And then he goes and does what he does. And we talked about Li Jingliang last week. This is a legit opponent. This isn't any can. This is a top 15 rank. I think Li Jingliang was ranked number 11. So he just beat the number 11 guy. He's now officially going to be ranked. And 
I mean, he was literally, I think, the star of the night in terms of social media traffic. I mean, some great results all around from some of the other guys that we talked about. But people are really interested in Hamza Shemaev. And we talked about Islam having a moment. I feel like Hamza had a really big moment, a really, really big moment. People are talking about him like being, you know, we talked about Islam being the next Khabib. I feel like Hamza is someone that could literally be the next Khabib undefeated. He's almost like a bigger version of Khabib. He's like, he's obviously, you know, a welter slash middleweight, but he's got knockout power. You know, um, he's got this persona and personality about him where he's talking about killing you and he's a gangster and he comes across like he's a villain from a Bond movie or something. Um, he, he's a, he's a, he's definitely a great character. He surpassed. I know this is, you know, people don't really care about this kind of stuff, but it, it trust me, it matters. He surpassed Kamaru Usman for Instagram followers, considering Hamzat's only been around for a while. Kamaru Usman's obviously the UFC welterweight champion of the world. Um, you know, I'm sure he's getting inundated with offers for sponsorship and what have you. The UFC looks at this kind of stuff. They they look at fighters that they're trying to promote in terms of what they can bring to the table to promote a fight. And when you have a big social media following, look at Paddy Pimblett. He's closing in on a million followers, and he just made his UFC debut. The UFC want to work with guys like that that you know can build their own audience, that you know have a connection with the fan base. Hamza has a serious connection with the fan base, and yeah, like you said, Simon, Kamar Usman, you know he's got business to deal with this weekend, but. Leon Edwards is right there. There's there's obviously some uh, a list of contenders for that for him to face as well. But I feel like when I look at the top ten, I look at Gilbert Burns. Yes, but even if you don't want to go that far that soon, I'm down for Neil Magny. I'm down for a Bilal Muhammad. I'm down to see Hamza run through a gauntlet and like continue to wreck shop in that top ten and continue to make a statement and. To the point where it's like almost undeniable that this guy must be fighting for a title next. The thing about Hamza right now is in addition to just being an absolute savage, getting all these wins, getting all these finishes, being a character, is the fact that he's doing it so soon in his UFC tenure and the fact that he's already got himself a passionate, hardcore fan base that are almost, you know, want to be on board for this journey. You know, Connor. You know, we'll see what happens with him when he comes back after his broken leg. But, you know, we had a great journey with Connor on his way to becoming double champion. We had a great journey with Khabib, right? He's now retired. Nate Diaz is on his last fight in his UFC contract. Jorge Masvidal, unfortunately, never got over that mountain from BF, BMF champion to official UFC champion. He's in his late 30s. Hamza is someone we can be genuinely invested in for the next 10 years at the top level in the UFC. And... He's bringing a lot of eyeballs and a lot of traction to the table. And for people that work in this business, that rely on traffic and views and engagement, he almost ticks every single box there. So, yeah, an outstanding performance. And we're recording this on November 1st, Simon. I wouldn't be surprised if we perhaps saw Hamza fight one more time before the year is up. Do you know, I wouldn't put anything past him. I mean, he's he's the king of the quick turnaround anyway. You know, he's got that record now, I think. Um, and... Yeah, he's he's just got a bit of everything, you know. He's got he's got decent English, which immediately switches him onto the English speaking media in the states. That is so important, you know. We talked a few weeks ago about Charles Oliveira and uh, people like that who outstanding fighters, but their English isn't hasn't always or they haven't always been great in terms of communicating in English. And uh, but now you look at you look at someone like Chimaev. He's absolutely. He's got that, as you say, that sort of movie star bad guy look about him, 
and he just goes in there and just just wipes people wipes people out. And the one knock against him, if you wanted to be super critical, was that he hadn't been in there with the true elite of the UFC. Well, he's just gone in there with the world number eleven and just absolutely wiped the floor with him. So, you know, I I, I think I tweeted, you know, forget giving him top ten opposition. In his top five now, he's a top five fighter at worst. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you take a look at the rankings. If you if if you're Sean Shelby and you want to be sort of pragmatic about this and say, right, let's let's build a storyline here. Let's let's sort of give him give him a series of tests. You know, think you can grapple? Get in there with Michael Chiesa. If he goes through Michael Chiesa, let's see if you can really handle some elite striking. Get in there with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Okay, who's next? Vicente Luque can put it all together, face him, and then, boom, you're at championship level. You've got Leon Edwards, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, and the champ, uh, Kamaru Usman. So, I mean, there's so many good fights. There's so many good fights. I mean, the Magni fight would be a good progression fight for him, but I don't know. I mean, if I'm the UFC, I want him at the top of that division as soon as possible because there are certain, certain situations where people like to see a vulnerable champion a big superstar who gets the fights done and all the rest of it, but there's a chink in their armor and it's can, can that be exploited? But then there's that other type of champion that people really buy into, which is the the indestructible champion. When Ronda was on top of her game, she looked completely unbeatable. You know, when, when Brock Lesnar won the UFC heavyweight title, that was an incredible story. It's like, wow. If you see the way you treated the best heavyweights in the UFC and some of these, some of these stories and, and, you know, it's. I think we're going to see another one of those. I mean, if Kamara Usman faces Hamzat Chimaev and beats him, I mean, Usman's, Usman's stock goes absolutely stratospheric at that point. If Hamzat runs through Usman as well, then you've got yourself an absolute megastar on your hands. And then, then he goes at middleweight, starts looking at the middleweight title and all the rest of it. So, you know, the sky's the limit. And if I'm the UFC, I want Hamzat Chimaev fighting for a title in one of the first couple of pay-per-views of 2022. That's my opinion. I think that would be the perfect launch pad for him, especially with hopefully international events becoming more of a thing. Certainly the UFC now uh, doing That's big the UFC card. Dabby, Dana White we was also hoping have. to announce some, some news about that this week. Wasn't able to do so, but I get the impression there's some big things happening uh, in the UAE for the UFC. So, um, Keep keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, yeah, Hamzat Chimaev is going to be one of, if not the biggest star in the UFC, probably by 12 months from now. It's absolutely huge, but um, massive performance from him. And very quickly, Sandu, before we before we leave this event, we'll talk about some of the off, off-cage stuff as well. But Lerone Murphy, Lerone Murphy, the one Brit on the card, he was in, in action on the prelims. And he took on Makwan Amerkani, who we know very well. He's very dominant with his grappling. And that's how it was in the first round. Makwanami Carney took Murphy down, took advantage of a stance switch, took him down and bossed it, but couldn't get anywhere near a finish. Some good corner work from uh, Carl Prince and Kane Musa in uh, in Lerone's corner. Lerone comes out and just hits him with a perfect knee. Unbelievable knockout. Makwan was down for quite some time after that. and uh, But yeah, Murphy looks seriously, seriously good at 145 pounds and it's just a case of how you build him we've got some brits who are doing the business sandu you've got leon edwards is doing the business at 170 you've got um 
Arnold Allen is still undefeated in the UFC. No one talks about him. He's still undefeated in the UFC. And now you've got Lerone Murphy, who has not been in the UFC long, but the progression he's showing fight to fight, he looks outstanding. Yeah, talk about undefeated. Lerone is also undefeated. The one split draw that is on his record is Zabira Tukagov, who's really freaking good, Simon. You know what I mean? So I was actually gutted for Lerone, to be honest with you, because he was stuck on the damn fight pass prelims. I was like, oh, guys, come on. Could you have not snuck him on? The broadcast prelims, you know, then he would have been on BT Sport and then everyone would have watched him on BT, you know, prime time. So I, th I really think they dropped the ball there in terms of how they kind of put the, the the undercard together. But it is what it is. He got a fantastic finish, a highlight reel knockout. I feel sorry for Makwan Amrikani, uh, as you mentioned, you know, someone that we've kind of got close to covering the European circuit. He was such a great character, always a great interview, always gave us tons of time. It hasn't worked out for him. You know? We spoke about it last week, Simon. The consistency of results just isn't there. And yes, Narone, you know, it's time to get excited about UK MMA because there's a bunch of guys that are finally starting to put it together, getting results. We keep talking about uh, the UK uh, scene and the UFC returning to London. Hopefully that happens in March because I feel like that could be a real showcase of almost the next crop. You know, we've got some stars, you know, obviously, Darren Till is a big star, but things haven't gone his way um, recently. He's recovering from injury. Le you know, uh, um, Leon is obviously one of the best in the world. And I feel like he almost needs that moment. We spoke, we've, we've spoken about moments today, Simon, um, on, on, on our show. And I feel like the Tyron Woodley fight that was originally scheduled for London last year could have given Leon the opportunity to have that moment. And, um, I feel like he needs that in the UK and he needs that on the London card just so that the world can see that the UK is genuinely behind him. Because I feel like the UK is behind him, but to visually see that in a, in a, in a sold out, in a packed arena when you're the main event and you've got everyone cheering you on, that helps you, you take that next step uh, in terms of star power, in terms of being a, a, you know, um, a major player outside of obviously the meritocracy, outside of your wins and putting a, a street together and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, super excited about the future for, for Lerone Murphy and uh, the entire crop of, uh, of talent in the UFC right now from the UK. Yeah, shout out to Jack Shaw as well, who is still doing the business and still undefeated as well. He's flying under the radar, but that man is world-class as well. Just wanted to make sure uh, we gave him a name check for sure. Now, wasn't always good news in the cage on fight night. We saw a lot of excellence in the cage, Sandu. Some unbelievable performances, some great matchups. We also saw, unfortunately, one of the worst officiating performances I think I've ever seen. And uh, now... I'm not, a, I'm not a referee. You know, I'm not a qualified referee. So who am I to be out there criticizing? But when it's as as, as egregious as what we saw uh, in that bout between Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos and Benoit Sandani, um, we've got, you know, we need to talk about this. Um, it was it was unbelievable. The referee, uh, Vyacheslav Kiselev, was due to take on the Magomed Ankalaya Volkan Ozdemir fight at the start of the main card. He got pulled from the card. I think Mark Ratner um, had something to say about things and he was pulled and Mark Goddard actually was handed an extra assignment to actually take control of that fight. Awful, awful refereeing. Uh, Sandini uh, clearly, clearly was in big trouble, was badly hurt, couldn't see, told the ref he couldn't see and the ref let the fight carry on. It was just 
absolutely unbelievable officiating. And, you know, we, we saw some great uh, refereeing on fight night. You know, we know Mark Goddard is one of, if not the best in the world. Jason Herzog is right up there as well. And uh, we saw some great examples of good officiating from them on fight night. And the referees at, at the world level are generally, generally excellent. But when you see a bad one, it really leaps off the screen. And that's what we saw in that fight, Sandu. It was, it was pretty tough to watch. Yeah, it was a bad one. Real bad one. Um, I like using that gif from Rocky IV, uh, throw the damn towel. And it was probably the most appropriate use of that gif that I've ever published on Twitter. I yeah. couldn't believe what I was watching. And thank God that the UFC, ultimately, they are you know commissioning themselves here. Right, so they're the boss. There's no independent body there to, to to take care of things here. So they they called an audible. Mark Goddard got an extra assignment. Who wouldn't be happy with that? Who he's the best in the business, in my opinion. He is the gold standard right now. And yeah, I feel like maybe a bit more homework needs to be done before some of these referees, um, you know, get the the assignment in the UFC at the very top level. The thing is, as well with with referees, it's like. Some of the new ones coming up through the game, you know, they're getting their reps in on the regional circuit, whether it be in Russia and America, Brazil, or whatever, right? But it's like, are they being compensated well? You know, is there enough money? And we talk about fighter pay. Is there enough money for officiating and for officials to warrant there being uh, an, an influx of so many people um, that want to do the job? And then you kind of almost have you know, legitimate competition in terms of who's going to get these big, big assignments, right? So unfortunate situation, but also at the same time, the corner didn't you know do any favors either. They could have thrown the towel in. So we can't yeah. put the the entire blame on the referee there. Mm. Um, and we and I think his corner have Saint Denis corners essentially, or the head cornerman has come out and said he'll never throw the towel in. Not the first time we've heard this from a corner, and mm. it's probably not going to be the last time that we hear this from a corner either. Um, so that's a whole different topic for a different day. But yeah, I'm kind of glad that it got rectified and the rest of the card played out the way it did with some high-level officiating. But that was, in my opinion, abysmal and, and a complete disgrace. Yeah, the fact it was a self-regulated event insofar as, you know, the, the well, Mark, Mark Ratner was close enough to it that he was able to, to actually uh, make make that call was... Um, was probably for the best, you know, and, you know, in, in another, in another jurisdiction, maybe that, that, that conversation might've been shut down. These are our officials. This is, this is how it's going to be. But, um, but what it does show you is, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the official is plenty experienced at his job. He, he'll know MMA back to front because you do, you know, if you're officiating at that level, you must have a, a, a good amount of experience. You know, if you threw me in there, and told me to referee a fight, I would be absolutely awful. I'd be terrible. I know what I'm looking at on the TV, but when you're in there and officiating, it's like, I know football, right? I'm, I used to be a soccer journalist back in the day. And as a kid, I I, I took the referees exam and I, I, in order so I could referee uh, kids' teams. And I tell you, I was a good player. I was a dreadful ref. Because it, it's just complete. It's apples and oranges. It really is. And... Uh, and in MMA, you need the refs to be absolutely on it. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't. And uh, it stood out for all to see. And it's good that they made the proactive moves that they did to uh, make sure that there was no more damage done uh, further down the card. Needed to tick that off the list. Before we kick on, Sandu, you're all into the social media. You're all over the social media. Talk to me about Hasbulla, please. Because 
he's I understand where he's come from. I understand there's him and I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, they're both like teenage uh, and they've got dwarfism, I think. And uh, I, I saw the original viral video of them having sort of a mini scuffle uh, at some sort of face off thing. And then obviously it's become bigger and bigger and bigger. And now that, you know, they're cage side at a UFC event. Um, it's how has this happened? And and what's going on? And how much how much pickup did that content get in comparison with the regular finishes, the you know the knockouts and all the rest of it that you were putting out on Fight Night? Hands down, the most engaged content from anything UFC two six seven related was anything to do with Hasbulla, whether it be wow. an image, a video, a GIF, post fight shenanigans. And I actually think both these lads are in their 20s. I don't think they're teenagers. I could be wrong. I actually think they're in their 20s. But Simon, the internet is a strange place, you know, and people in the world get famous for, you know, because of reality TV. But we're in an age now where people can get famous for just a gimmick on social media. And they have almost become popular in their own little pocket of Russia, Dagestan, what, what have you. But then because of social media, it's now taken on a, on a life of its own. And, you know, you could clearly see the UFC leaned in on it. They they gave them cage side seats, let them come into the cage. They had moments with Islam. I think at one point I saw Hezbollah sitting next to and talking to um, the UFC. Oh, my God, his name's going to escape you now. Not Dana White. Um, his number his number two who's ha- handling all the legal affairs hunter campbell hunter yeah. campbell was sitting right there having a chat with hasbulla absolute scenes um yeah it's just i guess it's fun and and i'm not gonna lie like i feel like everyone is i guess enjoying it in terms of everyone's kind of just enjoying i guess what you know these guys being involved i, I think it's less of a case of Ha- you know, having fun at them, more of a case of having fun with them. Clearly, these these two guys are, you know, staging this little scuffle post event, and you know, we you know, the BT Sport team caught up with Abdu afterwards, where he had like a, a paper and it said signed a contract, and you know, it's all good fun, it's all shenanigans, and I wouldn't be surprised if at future Abu Dhabi events, uh, if they get invited back. Uh, for stuff like this um so yeah all all good fun and like i said the internet sometimes can be a, a funny old world and a strange place where uh, the 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 unlikeliest of people can become famous yeah it's interesting like I, sh- I showed my wife some of it and she was she she was a bit uneasy looking at it going are these are they, are they not being a bit exploited in this situation i said honestly i think the exp- i think most of the exploitation in all due respect is probably coming from the two lads themselves, they are, they are doing great business out of this, I think. And, uh, and, you know, I think it's mutually beneficial to everybody. So as long as, as long as, you know, it is, it is a bit of a tightrope you have to walk sometimes with these sorts of things, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think there was anything untoward in terms of, in terms of all of that sort of thing. It's just that um, anybody who's in and around the sport, knows who has buller is and he was trending all night on social media that 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 was number one trend pretty much for the entire night i think there's no difference between these two guys being um involved or sitting cage side than there is when there's any other celebrity tom brady yep. Sha- shaquille Agreed. o'neal you name it any walk of life they are celebrities in their own right and the ufc are just using that uh in in, in a promotional capacity and social media 
to promote their event and it's a smart move if all old is exact same thing yeah. if i was you you see and here's the thing they're celebrities in their own right in 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 the world quote unquote of combat sports if that makes sense they're not you know from the nba or football or anything like that they're, they're coming from dagestan which is obviously the hotbed of mma producing fires left right and center and they've kind of latched onto that in their own kind of unique way yeah and uh Jake Paul, a man who certainly knows how to market things on social media, has drafted Hasbullah in. Hasbullah is going to be there when he fights Tommy Fury. He's already snapped him up. He knows what he's doing. And uh, he, he knows he knows a social media win when he sees one. And uh, so, yeah, so Hasbullah's stardom is just going to go even, even higher. And Jake Paul is going to be a beneficiary of that for his fight when he takes on Tommy Fury. So, uh, which is a fight I'm looking forward to seeing because he's actually facing a proper boxer. So, um, that'll be an interesting one. I'm sure we will talk about that on a future show. Uh, Sandu, this is turning into an absolute monster of a show. PFL 10, uh, the 2021 championships happened very, very quickly. Kayla Harrison, dominant, as we expected, defeating Taylor Godardo. Uh, where she goes next will be very, very interesting. Ray Cooper with a massive knockout of Magomed, Magomed Karimov. Um, check out social media for that. Absolute thumping right hand got the job done. Uh, uh, Clarissa Shields suffering her first ever defeat. Say first ever defeat. It was her second fight in MMA. Uh, to Abigail Montez, but her attitude on social media afterwards, I thought, was outstanding. She's still looking to grow. She's still looking to carry on, and I hope that the PFL sticks with her. Uh, Bruno Capaloza wins the heavyweight belt. Movlik Kaibalaev dominates Chris Wade for five rounds with ease and wins the featherweight belt. Uh, lightweight champion is now Roush Manfio. And the light heavyweight belt is Shoeface, Antonio Carlos Jr. Sandu, PFL, I thought it was a, a good season for them very quickly, just to touch on them. And hopefully they can build on that momentum in 2022. Uh, maybe if they can keep hold of Kayla, that'd be massive for them. Uh, Brendan Lockname for British listeners out there. He sounds like he's already on board for next, next season. And uh, if they can do something a little bit bigger with the finale, put it on a weekend, maybe look at New Year's Eve make it an even bigger occasion than it was because they've done a lot of things right this year. I thought I was, you know, it was a good season all round. I thought. Yeah, I thought it was decent. Um, I think a few of my big takeaways from this championship event was I didn't like the fact that it was on a Wednesday. Just felt like, felt weird, uh, but I'm sure they had their reasons for it. I'd like to see them return back to that New Year's Eve slot or at least a, a marquee weekend late in the year, something um, like that. And I saw some back and forth on social media um between greg savage who's kind of part of their pr team and sean sheehan uh, i think sean re recommended hey maybe uh uh split these events uh, these fights over a two-day uh, so it's so almost like a a two-day championship because then you can split three championships on each on each side and i think greg savage kind of replied with a bit of a, a cheeky smile so let's see if that um you know happens but yeah overall takeaways for me right now kayla harrison is the hottest free agent in MMA as we currently stand. Uh, let's see if you know the UFC make a play, Bellator make a play, PFL hopefully can re-sign re her. And I, I, honestly, I feel like there's even more pressure now on the PFL to perhaps make sure she re-signs with them as opposed to going with the UFC of Bellator because things didn't work out for Clarissa Shields. And I think the matchmakers got it wrong. Yes, her opponent you know, wasn't that experienced either. So in terms of the number of MMA fights, um, that was, I guess, good. But they should have had a bit of a deeper dive in terms of her style because she just held up uh, Clarissa Shields up against the cage. The referee did her no favors whatsoever by just letting 
a lot of inactivity, you know, passed by for the majority of these three rounds. Mm. Um, They should have got someone that was purely going to stand with her. You've got to build her up. You've got to give her time. You've got to, you know, you put all this hype into her coming from the boxing world. But MMA fans who perhaps didn't follow her boxing career, you almost need to showcase um, her talent in that regard, you know, and, and just let her style on some opponents, let her knock some, you know, women out. Um, or at the very least, get some TKOs and let her, you know, mm. showcase her boxing skills. We didn't see any of that, and I feel like that's probably taken a little bit of the wind um, out of out of their sales, out of her sales. Her, her story isn't done yet in MMA, and she's been nothing but respectful and all the credit in the world to her um, and respect to to step up when others probably wouldn't. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a a major situation, I think, for the PFL to figure out because they need that star. And the reason they need that star, Simon, is I'm super happy for everyone that won a PFL championship. Super happy for everyone that has walked away with a million dollars. But the issue with the PFL is come right now, Monday morning, Monday as we're recording this podcast or a week from now, how many people with within MMA or outside of our community are going to remember the names of the 2021 PFL champions? How many? And that's an issue. They've got to figure out uh, a, a roster that the, the vast majority of people are going to know, remember. It's all about stars. It's, you know, it's great that they have this opportunity to, to fight for a million dollars where you perhaps wouldn't get the opportunity um, in the UFC, certainly. But And, and if you're Ray Cooper, why would you leave want to leave you know you can you know, he's just become a back-to-back champion why if you're kayla harrison which is why she's probably in a more advantageous situation compared to ray cooper the ufc and bellator aren't going to be dishing out a million dollar contract to ray cooper that's just not going to happen but maybe for kayla harrison they could figure out something that makes you know makes it worth her while i'd love to see someone like ray cooper fight in the ufc i feel like he would be a, a fantastic addition to the welterweight yeah. division it's just you know the, the opportunity to win that much money in the PFL is so enticing. So, yeah, glad to see Brendan on board for next year. I'm also very curious to see what the the long term broadcast situation is with the PFL. This was a a two year deal with ESPN. That's now come to an end. Do does ESPN resign them? Do they go with a different broadcast partner? So, very interesting times here for the PFL in this kind of quote unquote off season with regards to the talent, the roster, if they can keep Kayla, who they bring in in terms of new additions and also what their broadcast situation is going to be like. So yeah, I'm just happy that they're sticking around because I feel like they've got enough to build upon now. Yeah. And you mentioned the TV thing, just to, just to put a, a cap on that. They were on MMA TV here in the UK, which is just a website that streams fights um, and uh, absolutely nothing against what they're doing. Um, but if you're a brand looking to grow, grow your uh, footprint in a, in a market where one of the best fighters you have on the roster is from that part of the world, you don't want it on a pay-per-view only stream on a, on a website. You are certainly not a website that isn't an absolutely massive traffic website, you know? So get it on, get it on a TV channel, do a TV deal, try and get a TV. I mean, the UFC is on BT sport. Bellator is on the BBC. I tweeted this the other day it'd be a pretty good fit to get it on Sky. You know, it'd be a good fit to get it on Sky. Uh, the league format would work quite well. So who knows what what's next for the PFL? I just hope that they can get a little bit more exposure here in the UK, just as they are uh, looking to grow elsewhere. But that was the kind of the midweek, the midweek goodness for us. But boy, have we got a big week, Sandu. UFC 268 
is going to be Saturday night, Madison Square Garden, Saturday, November the 6th. And the deck is stacked. Kamaro Usman versus Colby Covington for the undisputed welterweight title. A rematch of one of the best fights I think I've ever seen uh, in the UFC. Certainly one of the best title fights I've ever seen. Unbelievable fight between those two. I think it was UFC 245. Um, and uh, absolutely brilliant, brilliant rematch. I know a lot of people would like to have seen Leon in that title fight. But the Colby fight does bigger business for the UFC. That's why he's there. Um, will it be repeat or will it be revenge? That is the storyline going into this one, Sandu. Where's your money? I'm going with the champ. This is going to be a one hell of a fight. Um, but uh, yeah, fights do not get much bigger than this in the UFC right now. I'm absolutely buzzing for this one. No, they don't, Simon. And, and I think the vast majority of people will probably be picking Kamaru Usman. I am as well, because you look at the first fight between him and Colby, Kamaru just got in better and better. You know, under the tutelage now of Trevor Whitman, his striking is phenomenal. Look, I mean, and we're talking about him potentially being the fighter of the year. He wins this Saturday. It's a lock. He is the fighter of the year, in my opinion, regardless of the outcome between Charles Oliver and Dustin Poirier. I just don't feel like, you know, even if Dustin Poirier wins in emphatic fashion, two wins over Connor and that, for me, in my opinion, is just a little shy of what Kamaru Usman's done this year. Finishes Gilbert Burns, knocks out Jorge Mazda. Nobody knocks out Jorge Mazdal. And if he's able to defeat Colby Covington, especially if he does so in more impressive fashion than he defeated him last time, my goodness, then yeah, he's going to have fight of the year wrapped up. But it's such a tasty main event because it's two. We talk about elite level MMA, two guys in their prime. It's a rematch. Everyone knows how awesome that first fight was between them. I'm absolutely buzzing for it. Yeah, the big question mark over Colby here is this is going to be almost 14 months since we last uh, saw him in the cage. So how will he look after such a long layoff? Um, one thing is for sure, his cardio will be insane because it always is. Uh, his output will be insane because it always is. What will he have improved, though? This is what I want to see. How can he improve to the level that he can actually beat Kamaru Usman, who matched him for cardio almost matched him for output, but obviously outdid him for power and uh, eventually got the job done late on in their first meeting. It's going to be an absolute barnstormer of a fight. Fight week will be fun and games because fight week with Colby always is. The insults will be flying. There'll be loads of social media clips flying around the place. The face-offs will be tasty. It's going to be an absolutely brilliant main event on Saturday night. But that is not the only title fight on the card. Rose Namajunas, Thug Rose, reunited with her women's strawweight title is taking on the former champ Zhang Weili. This is going to be insane. I mean, the first one was good. This one I think could be even better. And uh, there's a little bit of, a little bit of needle between the two as well, stemming from the first fight and things that were said. Um, and uh, seeing as Zhang Weili, who is all fired up uh, with nothing to lose, if you like going in, looking to take the belt back, that's going to be really interesting against Rose Namajunas, who has absolutely thrived with the uh, the whole underdog status over the course of her career. She's been absolutely brilliant in her career. Can she turn back Zhang Weili and uh, retain her belt? This is a coin flip fight for me, Sandu. I, as I sit here right now, I don't know who I'm picking for this fight. It is, it's one of those I almost don't want to pick it. I just want to sit back and watch and see how this one pans out. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. 
It really is. This is actually super difficult for me to predict in terms of how it plays out. On the one side, you would like to think that Young Bailey is going to have all the incentive and, you know, all the motivation in the world to come back, reclaim that championship and and do it for self, do it for China. She's obviously a massive star in China. We, we don't really get an idea because of how locked off China is and they had their own social media, they had their own version of Google, Twitter, Facebook, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, according to reports, the kind of views and the engagement she gets on those platforms in China is just crazy. So she's a big star there. And of course, really important for the UFC to, you know, have a champion in that market, um, which they can kind of parade around. But man, Rose Nami Yunus, she was just so good in that first fight, um, did something to Young Valley that no one's done before. And I mean, I just spoke about Trevor Whitman, who's going to have a busy, busy night on Saturday. <laughs> She's someone that under his tutelage has just gotten better and better and better. And I feel like this second reign as champion, she's far more comfortable in her skin, far more comfortable in that spot. Um, and I feel like this is almost going to allow her to give the best version of herself in the octagon as well. So I'm probably slightly leaning towards Rose here, but it's going to be a super, super competitive fight. And again, we're talking about two of the very, very best in the world in their weight class. Yeah, I think the the thing that really stood out in, in an admittedly very short fight, first time round, Rosie's striking. Um, her striking, obviously it was a head kick knockout that got the job done, but her hands are so crisp. And that's that's all down to the man you mentioned just a minute ago, Trevor Whitman, who is pulling triple duty at the top of that fight card. He's going to be in Kamara Usman's corner. He's going to be in Rose Namajunas' corner. And he's going to be in Justin Gaethje's corner. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's quite incredible. The top three fights and on the fight card he's going to be involved in. So, and he is, I think he's still an underrated coach. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. He's, he's, uh, he's absolutely superb. And what he's managed to do with Rose uh, has been nothing short of outstanding. So if she can be as sharp as she was last time out, it's all down to how well Zhang Wei Li has uh, improved during that time off and whether she can stand with her. So it's going to be a great fight. I'm looking forward to that. And speaking of that that three fight duty that um, Trevor Whitman's pulling, Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler is not a terrible fight. One hundred fifty five pounds, is it? What an unbelievable fight that is! Michael Chandler looked like he was uh, almost almost with the lightweight belt around his waist. He had Charles Oliveira in big trouble, didn't get him finished, and then got beat himself. Uh, Justin Gaethje, probably the one of the best fighters to not hold an undisputed title in the UFC. The man is unbelievable one of the most exciting fighters on the planet. That fight is going to be an absolute banger. The winner of that surely is going to be in with a shout of a title shot. But for Islam Makachev, who we saw uh, in dominant fashion this weekend, but that's going to be a huge, huge fight. And, you know, if, if you're writing down what fight of the night's going to be, it's either going to be the main event or it's going to be Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. I can't see that one sucking at all. No, that's going to be an absolute banger. And, you know, we spoke earlier on about the, the lightweight division. Islam's there, Simon. You know, he's knocking on the door. He's made a big statement this past weekend. And now the baton gets passed over to Justin Gaethje and my, Michael Chandler. We haven't seen Gaethje fight in a hot minute. Um, hopefully he's been able to really level up his game. And he's going to need to because Chandler ain't no joke. Um, man, what a, what an important fight for Chandler as well. If he wants to remain relevant, you know, he's coming to the UFC and it's been 50-50 thus far, you know, and he and he and he talks about, you know, be wanting to become champion 
He's come super close and it hasn't worked out for him so far. He wins this fight and like he's back in the mix. And I think that's the most important thing for him. Great platform, though. Doesn't get any better than Madison Square Garden, does it? For both of these guys. And talk about stealing the show. These two could very well steal the show on Saturday night. I'm just looking forward to seeing how this one plays out. I'm not really sure if I have a, a prediction set in stone. If I'm, if, if anything, I'm probably slightly leaning towards Gaethje just because of his uh, experience over Chandler in the UFC. Uh, he's been involved in some pretty epic fights, and he's had his own ups and downs. And I feel like you know, given the way DC handled that post-fight interview with Islam Makachev on the weekend, which kind of rattled up Justin Gaethje a little bit on social media. He's going to be incentivized and he's got he's got all the motivation in the world to make sure he puts a stamp on this performance, gets a win, cuts a promo on the, on the mic and puts himself right there back into title contention. Yeah, it's going to be an absolutely huge fight. I mean, he put a gun to my head right now. I'm going Justin Gaethje, punch power. Punch power and punch resistance. I think uh, Michael Chanda looks like a million bucks, but his chin has been has been exposed a couple of times in big fights. And I don't think there's anybody who hits harder at 155 pounds than Justin Gaethje. So um, that, is, for me, is probably the uh, the reason why I would lean towards the highlight uh, in that fight. Some other great fights on the card. Shane Burgos is back in action against Billy Quarantillo. Frankie Edgar still going, taking on Marlon Vera in the main card opener. But I just wanted to give a shout-out. Ian Gary, former Cage Warriors champion. Ian Gary from Ireland. The future is now here in the UFC. He makes his octagon debut in the first fight on BT Sport on Saturday night. You talked about the card placement for Lerone Murphy not doing him any favours. Well, this is the perfect spot for Ian Gary. Uh, the Irishman gets to uh, open the show on BT Sport against a contender series alum Jordan Williams at £170. And uh, looking forward to seeing how he gets on on his octagon debut, the future Ian Gary. Yeah, it's funny because I actually spoke to Ian Gary um it's kind of weird it was my debut for bt sport actually interviewing someone and it was the reason it's funny is it was an on-camera interview but when i had to cut it down for social media i had to cut my own head off it was hilarious but i actually saw him uh ringside for fury wilder three and it was a real quick hit just to kind of uh get a flavor for the main event get a quick prediction from him but this is what I'm talking about, Simon. Ian Gary, he's he's not in Ireland. He's stateside. Like, he's jumped ship. He has put himself in a situation where he wants to get the best training in the world. He's out there in America. He's doing his rounds. He's at these big events in Vegas. I don't feel like the, the magnitude of the moment that is making your UFC debut at Madison Square Garden, I don't think that's going to uh, deter him from putting his best foot forward here. I feel like... He's almost relishing the moment. He's he just seems so confident and so comfortable in his skin. When you when you look at interviews, when you watch interviews, see how he carries himself, how he conducts himself, he feel I feel like this is going to be one of those you know were you there type of type of moments you know. And we talked about what a great year the UFC is having some great fights. This could be the UFC debut of the year. You know, I feel like Paddy Pemblet right now is in the conversation just given the impact he made. Let's see if Ian Gary can make. A similar level of, of impact, especially given the fact that, you know, since Connor, no one has really captivated, you know, the the Irish and the Irish market um, anywhere close to what, what Connor did, right? We've had a lot of Irish fighters, but if you, if you look at the UFC roster right now, it's fairly de depleted of Irish fighters. So Ian Gary could be that guy 
And he's obviously coming in with a great pedigree, a lot of hype. I can't wait for his debut. I can't wait to see what he does. Yeah, and uh, training over at Sanford MMA. I know there was a bit of controversy about him leaving his old team, Team KF, um, in, in, in Ireland, uh, Chris Field's team. But he's now with Sanford MMA, which is one of the elite teams in the United States. And, uh, you know, uh, putting the controversy of, of, of uh, him leaving his old team uh, to one side, he is in a great spot training with Sanford MMA. That place is absolutely top to toe with killers across all weight classes. So he's in a really good place where he can take his career to the next level uh, as he competes in the UFC. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on. He's not the only Irishman in action this weekend, though, Sandy. Just to put a bow on an absolutely bumper edition of the Brit Pack, warming us up ahead of UFC 268, Friday night is going to be wild in Dublin, Ireland. Bellator 270 goes down at the Three Arena, one of the most atmospheric venues you'll find in the sport. And an Irishman is going for a world title. The showstopper, Peter Queeley, is taking on Patricky Pitbull for the newly vacant Bellator lightweight title. Obviously, the title was originally held by Patricky's brother, Patricio, who lost his featherweight belt to AJ McKee in the Grand Prix. He has made it his business that he's going back after that title. He's dropped the 55 belt to give Patricky the opportunity to win it. Peter Queeley's got something to say about that. And Peter Queeley already holds a victory over Patricky Pitbull. This is a rematch. There's championship gold on the line. And the arena is going to be going absolutely bananas. Uh, my only disappointment is I will not be in the building for it. I'm going to have to cover it from home. And the co-main event is going to be an absolute banger as well. James Gallagher. Everybody uh, either loves or hates him. Uh, I'm a big fan of James Gallagher as a as a as a fighter and as a bloke. He's he's top man to talk to, and he's taking on the very very dangerous Patchy Mix. Eleven and one James Gallagher, fourteen and one Patchy Mix. Winner of that is in pole position for a title shot at 135 pounds. Two incredible fights, uh, and the atmosphere will be absolutely off the hook on uh, on Friday night in Dublin. Yeah, I'm just so happy that Bellator are kind of like. Going back to Dublin, but it's almost like it's a home ground situation for them now. The UFC yeah. haven't been to Dublin in years, and they haven't been to the UK or Ireland in a long time now because of COVID. But I feel like Bellator have just kept chugging away. They've got a dedicated European team there, and this is what you have to do to compete. You have to go to the markets that the UFC aren't going in and forge those relationships with the local media, um, the broadcast partners and sponsors and, and, and all the rest of it. And the thing is, is like if you show respect to the Irish MMA fans, and you put on a good card, especially with a lot of homegrown talent, they're going to they're gonna be there. They're going to be loud and proud. They're going to be cheering their, the local guys on, and it's going to make for a really good atmosphere. And, and that, again, then translate on, on, onto the screen. Like I feel like we're all a little bit really tired with these Apex events. We get it. It's a necessary evil for what the UFC have to deal with with, with COVID. And then when these pay-per-views come around, it's a packed arena. It gives you an extra oomph. There's a buzz about it. And the you know with Bellator and their, their events at the moment, you know going to cities and markets where they can sell tickets, um, they can be on the road. Uh, that's going to help them. That's really going to help them. And I saw earlier on today um, Dan Hardy uh, you know, conducting an interview with our friend Errol Hawani. He's going to be in town. Now, he said that he's only going to be in town purely as a fan. But, uh, you know, if I'm Bellator, I'll be looking to have a conversation with Dan and figure out where, uh, out a way to snap him up because he's one of the best analysts in the game, got tons of commentary experience, 
you know, he would be a fantastic addition to the, to the Better Talk broadcast or just working with Dan in any way, shape or form would be an absolute bonus for Better Talk, especially when you start to kind of look at what they mean as a brand globally. So, yeah, keep your eye on Dan Hardy in Better Talk this week as well. Yeah, and uh, Dan looks like a man with options all of a sudden. I know um, there's been talk about him facing John Wayne Parr in a Muay Thai fight with the uh, MMA gloves on uh, in, in one championship. I believe he's, uh, he's he talked this week to Submission Radio about there being a contract for him to face Torrin Woodley in a boxing match. So he's got options. I mean, Bellator wouldn't be the worst place for him. He'd be a great uh, analyst addition as well. That's the other thing that they could, of course, do. Forgetting his fighting um, career for a second. He'd be a great uh, pundit and analyst to have on the team. So Dan Hardy, I'm sure, will find himself uh, in, a, in, a, in a nice spot even better than the one he's in right now. He's kind of, uh, he's, he's, he's in a nice little free agent spot right now. And I think good things are coming his way very shortly, I would imagine. But um, that fight night is going to be mad. The first fight of the night when I was there last time, I was wiping beer off my laptop after the very first fight of the night. So mad was the crowd in the three arena. So it's going to be a huge, huge night in Dublin on Friday night. And then all eyes will be on Madison Square Garden on Saturday night. Title fights, all over the place, huge matchups, and uh, I cannot wait to uh, break down the best of the action uh, next week on what will be another packs, but hopefully not so long episode of the Brit Pack. This one's gone over an hour, just a little bit of uh, behind the scenes information. We try and keep it under an hour so you can get it done inside a commute. So uh, apologies if we're a little bit late, but we had a lot to talk about on this week's show. Huge pay per view this past weekend. Huge pay per view this weekend. We had the PFL. We got Bellator. It's all going off all over the place. And that means life is good on Planet MMA. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, it's going to keep rolling. Sandu, how can everyone get in touch with the show? Yeah, we are at Screen Off, at Screen Off Script. That's my other podcast. We are the Brit Pack MMA. That's the web, website, thebritpackmma.com. If you go there, you can find my and social, uh, mine and Simon's social media handles. You can find the, the show's social media handles. We're available on spotify and apple Podcasts, and if you do listen to us on the apple podcast platform do us a favor rate and review us because that really helps the show get found uh, on that particular platform and yeah simon we went over an hour but like we say it was all killer no filler oh yeah and uh, if you're into your movies and tv and pop culture get on screen off script sandu's other podcast um and uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll chuck that on the on the uh, the brit pack uh, MMA.com website just so you can dive into that as well that is an outstanding listen as well the man Sandu's doing it in all different directions right now and he, he's, he's hard to pin down this man he's doing all sorts so uh, but yeah the Brit Pack will keep rolling on we will enjoy the fights this weekend and we'll be back to uh, unpack it all next week enjoy the fights guys we've got so many of them coming down the line and uh, yeah we'll be back next week